put me on a path of spiritual inquiry and um, through my 20s, anything that I could get my hands on to that, um, that spoke to a, a spiritual and, and sacred life, always based in nature, nature-based spirituality. And it was really that, that arriving in the British Isles, um, the land of my ancestors, that I had the embodied experience of something much more ancient, um, which I can speak about in a moment, but I, I guess in terms of ritual and ceremony, um, what I, how I practice now is to be completely free and released from dogma, but actually to trust my body and to trust the instinct and, and have my ritual informed by what's around me, informed by the land that's around me, which could even be my garden. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context. Not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Hi everyone, welcome to a Pollination Mamas podcast again. Um, it's currently May here in Australia and it's cooling down with these beautiful sunny crisp days um, but there's something really special and some sense of change in the air that the change of seasons often bring for me I just had my birthday yesterday <laughs> maybe that's part of it and um, also it was just Sal I'm, I'm, I've been working on my pronunciation I'll get Judy more Judy Diana who I've got here to help me with that again so today I've got a wonderful um, very wise but also local-ish guest here. So I really love having um, local guests as well as international and national guests. Uh, but I get a bit excited when I've got someone local. So um, Judy Diana from Artemis Rising, who is an experienced midwife with over 20 years of experience in Australia and England, and brings her passion to all aspects of birth and the sacredness of it. The sacredness is a transformational rite of passage. But quite strongly in her work at the moment, she's working through the well-recognised modality of shamanic womancraft. Judy guides and mentors women on their soul paths. She teaches the women's mysteries, the wisdom inherent in the naturally occurring cycles and how to effectively live in alignment with these for greater ease, flow and meaning. Judy leads ritual and ceremony to honour the significant times of transition in our lives, including rites of passage, seasonal Sabbaths, and the phases of the lunar cycle. So thanks so much for being here, Judy. Oh, thank you for inviting me to come and speak and happy birthday for yesterday. Thank I didn't you. realize. <laughs> exciting time to be talking, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hope you had a beautiful day yesterday. Yeah, I had a just a day of life. There was beauty and I was out with my two young kids and there was tantrums. It was a very real day. <laughs> but yeah. there was beauty and um, beautiful encounters as well. Um, mm, lovely. 
And I know that you're busy at the moment too. You're in the midst of um, birthing the next round of the Four Seasons journey, which is very exciting. And I had a bunch of like topics lined out, but I think I just want to jump straight into hearing about that because um, in our little pre-talk, um, you just lit up talking about it and I just felt so inspired hearing you and um, inspired about this movement that is really gaining so much momentum where women are gathering and remembering and reclaiming their divine wisdom. So I'd just love to jump in and hear about what is the Four Seasons journey, where are you at in the um, journey of it, and it's about to launch. So, yeah, share with sure. us. Yeah. Happy to talk about that and thank you for um, getting straight into that because as we were speaking about, it's really um, very much uh, in the forefront of my world right now. Um, so I'll just speak um, for a moment about the Mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey, um, which is a branch of it comes under the umbrella of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. I'm, I'm teaching for the School of Shamanic Womancraft. And we have our opening gathering coming up um, a week today, next Friday. and. For me, it's been many years in the making, in bringing this to fruition, to bring this really important work to women in our community, you know, here on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And so that's where my focus is and has been every day quite strongly, at least for years, but also it's just intensifying as we build towards that opening gathering. So excited about it. The women have heard the call. The women are gathering. Uh, we have a beautiful... Um, amazing venue, amazing um, site that we'll be gathering on nearby Barra. Out, um, it's on 85 acres of um, bush and rainforest and drier forests and there's creeks that run through that land and also a lovely rustic cabin where it is sort of the heart of the work that we'll be doing. Yeah, so my, um, so that's what's holding my attention right now and all my hard work is going towards that, my dedication, heart dedication. In regards to my journey with the School of Shamanic Womancraft, um, I, uh, you know, Jane Hardwick Collins is the founder of that school and I've known Jane for a long time through midwifery circles um, and then uh, spoke with her more closely probably about mm, 10 or 12 or something years ago when um, she was just beginning the to launch the School of Shamanic Midwifery, as it was called then, the School of Shamanic Midwifery. And I joined the second Four Seasons journey that was offered, and that was in 2010. And it was an extraordinary journey. It certainly built on um, uh, many areas in my life that I already knew. I already had a, a strong um, dedication and, and um, commitment to the divine feminine and to the sacred feminine. That was very real in my life and had been for years. Um, so what, what I gained through that Four Seasons journey was um, a whole lot of things, building on what I already knew through my work as a midwife and through my own sacred practices and my connection with the feminine divine. But it gave me more. It gave me a connection to a greater sisterhood uh, who were working together for um, a really amazing cause of living the healed feminine and the healed masculine. masculine creating meaningful shifts in the patriarchal paradigm in which we live by um, offering a space for women to remember and reclaim their inherent 
wisdom as uh, in, in as embodied females. It's a comprehensive program, and it's a bit hard almost to pull out the one thing that it is. It's many things. It's a healing journey for the individual and made richer for being collective, you know, for in the whole group. Uh, so when I um, I went through the program of the Four Seasons journey and came out with a clear understanding that I wanted to work more in that way. And um, from that, uh, I did many things. I set up, I actually worked, um, developed and evolved my own year-long course, the Women's Spiral of Transformation. And I ran that uh, over a number of years, uh, meeting on the Sabbaths, actually. It was a, you know, every uh, Sabbath for a year, we spun the wheel of the year with a closed group of women. And so many things have come out of that, again, in this local community. And I also really, um, I knew that I wanted to actually teach the program of the Four Seasons Journey and worked steadily towards that with an apprenticeship program and mentoring and attending deepening weekends and really um, sort of cultivating and involving that aspect of myself um, to teach this work. And here it is, you know, um, and, uh, and it's all coming to fruition. And so it does feel like a, a really big birthing and um, a gentle birthing, actually. Uh, you know, this has been, um, it's, although it's taken time, the, t the length of time is almost irrelevant. I think, you know, it, it takes as long as it takes and it's taken um, all these years now to be ready, for me to be ready, for the land to be ready, for the women to be ready to launch Mid-North Coast Four Seasons Journey. There's more I could speak about the program if, if you'd like, or what would you like to know about that? Gotta unmute myself. Um, my washing machine is going off in the background, so I muted myself. And I apologize if it starts going again. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about it. And I just think it's so fantastic that there is more and more groups and movements and gatherings of the sisterhood where people are gathering to heal and connect on an individual level, but a collective, because there really is something so powerful about when people meet with purpose and with sacred intent. There's one thing to have connection and connection's really important in our life, but when people meet with that sacred intent, it just gives it so much purpose. And then it's easier for people to tune into their own individual purpose in life as well. But I would love to hear more about the Four Seasons journey and what you and as the facilitator and the women who are joining um, are likely to experience what that sort of framework is. Sure. So um, for this particular Four Seasons journey, I'm co-teaching. Um, and a lot of the, this has now evolved from Jane teaching, uh, you know, one, one um, season at a time to, um, other women have come through the program and um, there's a Four Seasons journey in Victoria and in Mullumbimby and um, Jane has taught in the British Isles, so there's Four Seasons journey. So it's spread far and wide, which is sort of the purpose, you know, let's spread the word far and wide and as fast as possible. So, and each um, Four Seasons journey, there's one in the Blue Mountains as well, um, are taught by different women, different graduates and teachers of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. 
And um, we each bring our own particular flavour and our own, of course, essence and energy and personality to the content, although the content is consistent. So the program's consistent. So for the Mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey, I'm co-teaching with Joanna Dad, another Marga woman and um, a dear friend. Um, you know, we love each other dearly. It's, it's a lovely synergy to be teaching together. And I first met Joanna actually... Um, we met through the Four Seasons journey together um, back in uh, 2010. And she lives not far. She's in the mid-north coast as well. She lives in Bellingen. So together we're offering the program. And uh, all the programs, they begin with an opening gathering. Um, there's pre-reading. There's, um, there's a lot of work. Like it's a comprehensive program. There's some um, preparation before beginning the course. And then we meet with the opening gathering. And in the opening gathering, it's um, when ours, we're camping on the land, on that beautiful land that I spoke about. And the women get to um, make a frame drum. They get to birth their own frame drum. And that is, um, becomes a, a shamanic healing tool, which you know, we use throughout the year and also beyond. You know, women are, um, become experienced in working with the drum and using the drum as a healing tool. Um, and we look at that creative process <clears throat> as a um, representation of one's birth imprint. And so each of the gatherings through the Four Seasons journey builds on the different rites of passage that women go through in life. So naturally we begin with birth and how we were born and how our birth imprint may um, play out through our lives in different ways and most readily seen when we're doing creative process of one sort or another. <clears throat> sort of the ultimate in, imprint for creativity. Um, within that gathering, there's some um, shared time in circle, you know, like uh, you know, circle sharing and, and some teaching and teaching of the wisdom of the cycles. And there's time for paired share and for individual reflection. And then, yeah, and, and ritual, you know, that there's, um, there's ritual and ceremony woven throughout the whole year, which is really sings to women's souls, you know. It's such a um, rich way of being in ritual and ceremony. Um, and then <clears throat> the next gathering is the full moon gathering. And in between gatherings, um, there's strong support from Joanna and I. Um, you know, we, we meet um, with women through Zoom conversations and, and we're supporting as needed because it's a deeply transformational program. So it has to have good, solid support behind um, what's going on for women. And uh, then there's the full moon gathering and around that gathering we connect more strongly with power animals. So throughout the course, um, women gain an understanding of their totem animal or power animal who may be... Um, holding the, the medicine for um, the healings of, their, of inner wounding that they may have. And so we do a um, full moon ceremony around the power animal um, and a whole lot of other teaching around um, mother phase. And then there's the dark moon gathering, and that's a journey of descent and return. And uh, there's another big ceremony around that. So we meet under the dark moon and um, and then... Uh, go through a process of, of descent, transformation, and then a return with the new moon, and we set new moon intentions. And all this leads into the um, wilderness solo experience. And this, for me, was part of what really um, 
call to me with the course. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the wilderness solo experience is an opportunity as a group to live in community for nine or ten days out in a bush setting and delve deeply into one's life story, perhaps in a way that has never been held or heard before. And um, we <clears throat> live as a, you know, as a beautiful community of women cooking on fire perhaps in a very simple way, all relying on and drawing on each other. And then the women have an opportunity, if they choose, to retreat um, for three days into a solo experience, a solo wilderness experience, well supported by a safe base camp. Um, <clears throat> and then they return, you know, then they return after that. And much magic happens on that wilderness solo experience. And I know it was, um, for me, so many insights, not least just the absolute gift it felt like such a gift to be able to remove myself from everyday life in a really supported way to spend you know nine or ten days completely in nature and particularly on my own I loved that it yeah it was really profound and and part of what occurred during wilderness solo for me led on to the other things that I've done since like create women's spiral of transformation and all the other workshops and teachings and other things that I've done in the years since then. So that's a really um, important and, and um, yeah, such a great part of the program, which I think sets it aside from perhaps some other programs that may be of similar nature. It's deeply shamanic, um, quite profound and also so well held that women can really drop into that space. Uh, and then we debrief from that and then there's the closing gathering um, at the end of the whole year process um, and that's always such a, a beautiful treat, that gathering. Lots of, you know, surprising and wonderful things occur through the closing gathering. And that takes us through the whole year. So we're beginning next weekend and we conclude in May next year. Mm. Beautiful. Is there a reason you chose from May to May? Um, well, it's just sort of being with the flow of how things were working out and it seems to sit really well, um, particularly that it's arriving just after Samhain, you know, we spoke about that and um, the descent part of the year. And, uh, you know, in, in previous traditions, Samhain was considered to be the beginning of the pagan year. So um, it's the way things seem to fall into place for... Um, co-teaching to work well and the other programs that were with the school and the dates all fitted in really well. Um, the following year, so we're already setting dates for 2020 and we'll actually begin, be beginning in August of 2020 for the okay. second North Coast Four Seasons journey. So then more aligned with spring and in bulk and, and new beginnings. Yes. I yes. think part of the wisdom of the cycles is that being a cycle or a spiral uh, with no beginning and no ending, one can start anywhere, you know, yes. start <laughs> and still live the whole cycle. Yeah, you're still going to go around and come around to a similar yeah. place in a different way, hence the spiral. That's oh, well, it sounds beautiful and amazing and, um, yeah, lucky women, very, very lucky women. There are so many things that were I was feeling and thinking about as you were talking but especially um, the ritual. So it seems that for us in the modern day, no matter where you're coming from, if you've moved away from like the dominant 
religious paradigm. So here in Australia with colonisation, the dominant religious paradigm has been Christianity or Catholicism. And if you've moved away from that or expanded out and looking for more from that, um, it seems that we've lost um, newer ways of ritual by leaving that behind. And what you're offering is a way to still have actions in our life and um, and which is ritual to connect with the sacred. Can you talk a little bit about why you think ritual is so important and how it's enriched your life and how you've seen it enrich other people's lives? Mm. I think um, <clears throat> as humans we, we have um, an inbuilt kind of desire for ritual and ceremony and an honouring of the sacred, you know, um, and... Uh, um, a sense of something bigger than self, what, however we may call that, you know, and, and a spiritual sense. I think it's wired into us as humans in, in some ways that we um, seek the mystery or seek an explanation and we find it in many different ways. And perhaps we're enacting ritual. In fact, we are enacting ritual all the time. It's whether we're conscious of it or not. The things that we do in our everyday mundane secular life can be ritual in nature. Uh, yet when we bring our consciousness and awareness to what we're doing, we may choose something that um, perhaps is uh, more meaningful or deeper or um, brings a resonance to our soul. And I guess when I first became really um, introduced to how ritual and ceremony could work for me in a way that felt alive and real was when I um, went on my journey to the British Isles and... Um, found uh, my ancestry, my place of belonging, and um, a, a goddess spirituality that spoke to my feminist self, actually. I was brought up, um, you know, in a Christian family and, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I, I grew up with, in, a, in a Christian sort of life, which really didn't speak to me much beyond my teens. There were flaws and things that I thought, like, this just isn't resonating with me. There's pieces missing here. And it put me on a path of spiritual inquiry and um, through my 20s, anything that I could get my hands on to that, um, that spoke to a, a spiritual and, and sacred life, always based in nature, nature-based spirituality. And it was really that, that arriving in the British Isles, um, the land of my ancestors, that I had the embodied experience of something much more ancient. Um, which I can speak about in a moment, but I, I guess in terms of ritual and ceremony, um, what I, how I practice now is to be completely free and released from dogma, but actually to trust my body and to trust the instinct and, and have my ritual informed by what's around me, informed by the land that's around me, which could even be my garden, or it could be the bush path to the beach that I walk regularly. So I think... Um, for me, for ritual and ceremony to be meaningful, um, perhaps based on um, some context that is pre-existing, but also to be free of dogma and, and to be um, arise in the moment. And certainly in gatherings of women, so I'm involved with Red Tent and other um, groups and gatherings of women where ritual and ceremony is a part of that. And it's always informed by um, what is, comes up through the group, through the collective. Yeah, does that, so that, that's yeah, what I would I love say. that. I actually got tingles as you were talking and I just jotted down a few notes. Um, 
was something, and I'm, it's not word for word, you just, there was a statement and I got tingles, free of dogma, arise in the moment and be guided by nature. And I just thought, yes, <laughs> that's me. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. Like it's something I'm already, I've done for a long time and it was just sort of an instinctual thing from a fairly young age too and then I've continued to mature into it. But you giving it that language and those words just sort of, made it all um, connect a little bit more. I'm similar, like definitely guided by nature and that will guide my feeling of ritual. So sometimes that might be very focused and intentional and other times it's just um, a feeling and an action of awareness of my place in the greater ecosystem, the greater human ecology, the cosmology, all of that. It's just... Sometimes there's just a feeling of awareness that can connect you. It could be certain animals around or it could be a change of season feeling or it could be um, the wind blowing in a certain way and all of a sudden you just feel really connected and aligned in yourself and to everything around. So I love that a lot. And um, I'm glad you brought up the ancestry because that was something I'm really keen to talk to you about and I've been talking to everyone about um, and I've delved, been delving into a lot of my own ancestry, which is largely from the British Celtic Isles also. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more about, um, about yeah, your ancestry and how that's guided you. Okay, thank you. Um, so I think this is a really alive conversation at the moment and I'm hearing it through women's circles and other groups that I'm involved with and have been for years actually. Um, and... There's probably two ways I can approach this. And one is what I'm hearing and one is what I've experienced myself. Mm. So mm. what I've been hearing for a long time and most of my um, work with, with women in, in sacred ways in this country has been with women of Nordic, Anglo, Celtic, European ancestry who may have been born in this country of Australia and feel really deep connection with this ancient and sacred landscape um, or have arrived here. Um, but also feel within themselves a sense of, of maybe um, loss, uh, you know, maybe a, like a, a sacred hunger, a yearning for an alive cosmology or um, indigenous nature, which is um, of their own and maybe not of the land that they live in here in Australia. So I've heard women express this sacred hunger, this yearning um, for something that they can't even quite name. Though now with the conversations coming up about ancestry, I think it's becoming clear what that is. And knowing that we are all Indigenous to somewhere, you know, we all have an Indigenous nature at our roots. And that those of us who are from those uh, Nordic, Celtic, European lands have had so, so much has been lost to us. The threads of our memory have been cut. And this is to do with a whole lot of things including, um, you know, the, the widespread Roman invasions, even pre that, you know, the rise of the um, war, the patriarchal society, the warring tribes from the north. Um, yeah, the Roman um, invasions were so systematic and so cruel in um, removing the um, healing arts, the wisdom, the, the knowledge of the, pre of the people who existed on the lands before the Romans came across. And then, of course, um, the burning times, the inquisitions, really a systematic annihilation of our um, Anglo-Celtic Nordic past. And 
history is written by the conquerors. So even, you know, there wasn't a written language. Um, it was the people who were removed and the lineage lost and cut. And so there's an emptiness there. What occurred for me, and I really wasn't aware of this. I went traveling, you know, way back in the late nineties, you know, and um, I, my travels took me to the British Isles. I went there to work specifically as a midwife to go and work in a um, continuity model of care, which wasn't happening in Australia at that time. Uh, being a woman of nature, of course, when I arrived in the British Isles, I took myself off into nature and I went in uh, an intuitive travel through those lands. And all these extraordinary things started occurring to me through my body. And the fact that it was a surprise to me and it was through my body led me to go, oh, something really significant is afoot here. Things are, um, are awakening in me and it was definitely that. And I believe that what happened was that as I walked uh, intuitively around these different landscapes that um, my DNA, there was a resonance within the land that I was walking on, which was the place of my ancestors. Bones were my... Uh, the place where the bones of my ancestors lay buried. And this is the deep ancestry, not just my grandparents, great-grandparents and so on, a deeper thing. And uh, all sorts of things unlocked within me. Um, my dreamings changed. I found myself in very wild places. And I, what I heard really was um, the voice of the goddess, you know, stuck through cracks of rock where wind howled and whistled through I met the banshee and the Kaliak and and all these um they, they were revealed to me and my travels took me on to Glastonbury Avalon and um I met with a woman there Kathy Jones who was starting off some priestess training and this was another big yes that resonated through my body there was a little sign do you have a calling to be a priestess of Avalon and there was an aspect of me that knew this as a very ancient and real part of myself and so my um, I spent a number of years there training you know getting experience in some of these um, learning about the goddesses of those lands and spinning the wheel of Arno, as she termed it, learning some ancient ways and also um, how these ancient ways were made relevant in today's modern world. Yeah. Um, and so this is what I still carry with me, even though I live in this country. And I know that there is an ever ongoing and alive connection with those places of my ancestry and the teachings that I had learned there um, are very accessible here in this country. So to answer your question around um, ancestry, I guess from my lived experience, I think that it was around finding where my own place is and that I believe that when women or when people understand their own lineage, they are less likely to be drawing on cultures that are seemingly more intact and claiming them as their own. So this, this whole thing around uh, cultural appropriation, cultural appreciation, and that perhaps I've seen um, people drawing on other cultures and practices of other cultures because there's a hunger for it, you know, and because we've lost our own, you know, practices, healing arts, cosmology, mythology, our own, a connection with our own places of belonging. So then drawing and leaning on others 
Mm. Is that making sense? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm using the um, cultural. I've got an echo. Actually, it doesn't record that way. Um, cultural appropriation over appreciation all the time because I feel exactly the same thing. That, um, and then also I've talked about this in a recent podcast. There's almost um, colonization guilt that I live in this amazing land with this really immense and powerful indigenous wisdom. And therefore, to trace my own lineage, Indigenous lineage, will I be um, disregarding the Australian Indigenous? And it's, it's, it's a strange sort of dialogue that went on in my head for a little while and I knew it didn't completely make sense, but it was something that I had to, um, to think about. And I know that it's not. I know that by exploring your own lineage, you appreciate other cultures so much more. And like you said, you don't need to appropriate other cultures or lean on other cultures too much when you feel strong in your own ancestral lineage. And then there can be a sort of a sharing of wisdom and of commonalities and um, a coming together in that strength and wisdom of that we are all one also. So while we have our own wisdoms and lineages. Yeah, interesting and amazing um, journey that you had over in the British Isles by the sounds of it going there for the work and then discovering so much more. Mm. And I would, um, yeah, I would echo what you were just saying there, that I think this is not about, um, you know, we're here, we're, you know, I live on this land in Australia and, and participate in this um, land here. I don't think it's about being um, exclusive or saying that because I understand my own heritage or lineage that I am not of this place you know I was born here my my body actually is of this place my mother ate from the plants that grew in the earth that are from this place which created me you know so uh, I feel very connected to this place and and um, engage with the landscape in which I'm in and certainly am aware of the um, of being sensitive to the practices and, and the people who are here before before us mm -hmm. and um, also open to what, what the earth presents to me, like you're saying. So a daily spiritual practice um, is, is nature-based. And for me, with no dogma, it's not the same thing every day, but very often I, you know, there's a particular walk that I take here through a bush path and um, I consciously open a portal space as I walk through and there's two trees that I walk through where this portal space is and over time I've been doing this for years there's quite an energy and a resonance there as I walk through the portal space and I know that all that I then meet or all that comes before me during that walk is part of that um, other world you know I, I can walk in an in other world in a very ready and easy way um, and it may be that there's what is there at the base of this particular tree or what bird is it that is sitting at a branch uh, with some um, message of some sort to me that speaks to my my soul speak or who is it that walks along this bush path and I have a conversation with it's all in that um, duality of that other world sense as well as being in the 3d here and now so I think there's this relationship with the environment and um, maybe it's just a shift of consciousness while I'm in that sort of that daily spiritual practice, that spiritual practice in nature. Mm. Mm. It's been a bit, it's a numinous thing. Um, 
and I guess in also speaking previously about being free from dogma, that um, although my um, practices may take a similar sort of pattern, there's no rigidity about it. And if if it's not one day, it's not that; it's something else, you know, that I'll do in the day to connect with the divine, to be in the place of connection with the divine, uh, according to what the, my, the needs of my body are and the needs of my soul are at that time. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. What your needs are. Around. So I'd love to talk a little bit about um, how your insights from your many, many years as a midwife and, and seeing participating and being a part of people's transformation through birth into motherhood parenthood, that huge rite of passage that happens and the sacredness around that. And how um, then that informs, and are, are you a mother also, Judy? Did you have two? I am. Yeah. I have, so, yeah, I have two um, teen, late teenage boys. Okay, mm. yeah. Um, and then expanding that out to the continuum of rites of passage from um, that older traditional term of maiden or a younger woman through the motherhood. Um, into MAGA. I've been hearing MAGA more and I really love that as a term. I'd love you to talk about that more and then through into wise woman. And there's many names for that, but basically that continuum of the life cycle as a woman and how various events happen through our lives, whether we have children or don't have children and as we grow. Um, and the importance of acknowledging that as we grow and giving importance to that rather than those things often being hidden or suppressed or and then becoming really hard. And so for me, I see, um, especially being a postpartum doula and, or social worker past and then um, moving into postpartum revitalisation, seeing that people are really suffering at their rites of passage. It's being pathologised. It's being turned into sickness because there isn't a real honouring and sacredness there. So what could be this really beautiful, held, transformative, um, positive experience has sort of just been ignored and therefore people are just left sort of with the rug pulled out from under them. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about your ideas around how we can acknowledge and celebrate the rights of passage as women. Mm -hmm. So... Um in speaking about my work as a midwife, um, I am most of my work as a midwife has been within the system. Um, I, in the British Isles, I worked in a group practice um, offering home birth and also hospital-based birth. It was um, part of, you know, still part of the NHS. And here in this country um, and where I am now, I work uh, in the hospital system and I work with with women. You know, it's the role of the midwife. Um, it's not in a group practice, there isn't continuity. And my work is part-time, so I'm stepping in and out, in and out. Yet um, I am, of course, deeply aware of uh, the importance of birth giving and childbirth as a rite of passage in not just a woman's life, but it's, well, it's a rite of, massive part, rite of passage for the woman, for the baby, of course, and for the family and the community that surrounds the woman. Uh, everyone is touched around birth. Um, and I guess the part to speak that I feel to speak to this now is that in this country at this time, most women are birthing in the hospital system. This is where most babies are born and most women 
receive the um, antenatal care or services and um, have their birthing experience and their very immediate, you know, one or two days post-birth experience in a hospital environment, largely. Of varying degrees, whether that's from, you know, like a you know, birth centre up to a major tertiary centre and all sorts of things go on there. Um, yet it is still a rite of passage, regardless whether it's highly medicalised. Uh, this is still about birth. This is a birthing of the baby is always a sacred act, no matter where or how the baby is born. And I think from me as a midwife, I... Um, I'm very conscious of that every day that I work, whether it's in the birthing unit or on the postnatal ward or home visiting or through clinic, that um, given the restrictions and limitations of the way the system is set up currently where I'm working, uh, I'm aware of how can I bring that reverence moment by moment for the women and the families that I'm involved with. And it's, I, I guess, some key things. Probably the first is that I feel um, when I am, am entering that workspace that I remain connected to my own source, you know, that I that I'm, um, stay connected to my own sense of um, divinity and soul even before I enter the workplace. You know, there's a practice that I do as I leave my car and I set my intention for the shift and I'm, I know that I'm aligned and connected before I enter that space. And then maybe it's as simple as really deeply listening and hearing what the woman says, but also hearing what, what may lie beneath or beyond what she is saying. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not imposing my views or my, um, uh, my own sense of, of this onto women. It's just this inner awareness to really be present, how to be really present to what's going on here. And I'd add also that I work in an environment with many colleagues, women colleagues, and that that's also um, to be really valued, actually, and how to cherish my colleagues um, and value what they each bring to the birthing world, the birthing field. Knowing we're all there, I guess, doing the best that we're able to in that moment. I do know that what goes on for someone around a rite of passage, we are liminally open and, and probably, you know, each of these rites of passage of monarch, of birth giving, of menopause, of death and dying, um, liminally open, uh, open to impression and imprint. And it's not just in the birth giving moment, let's say, I think it's the whole thing from even, I think for any rite of passage, I'll come back to birth in a minute, for any rite of passage, there's a number of um, phases, stages within the rite of passage. And one is a um, period of anticipation or preparation, which may last some years. So uh, think of any of those rites of passage, monarch, birth giving, menopause, death and dying. We're aware of them coming. We're aware of them pending. And we may pay attention to this or not, but there's a, a preparatory sort of phase to the rite of passage. We know what's to come. Um, and then there's a separation, a separation from community, from self, from an old way of being. And then one um, goes deep into the liminal experience, the transformational experience of the rite of passage, where all that one was before becomes um, undone in some ways. And then there's a return. So uh, an emergence of the uh, person who's going through this rite of passage, reformed in a new way, 
and a, and a welcome back into community. So a preparation, a separation, the liminal experience, a reintegration and a return, forever, forever changed. And the point of transformation is that one cannot go back. You know, once we've been through a, rite of, a significant rite of passage, we can't be who or what we were before. We're, we're forever transformed and changed. Um, once we've entered that, you know, moved through that rite of passage of monarch and become a young woman, there's no going back to girlhood in some ways. Um, same as mother, you know, we hear this um, sort of colloquially spoken, once a mother, always a mother. You know, we, we never go back. And that's every pregnancy brings a woman to motherhood in some way. Every pregnancy results in a birth some way, no matter when the baby's born or how the baby's born and whether it's a loss to the womb or a baby that doesn't survive into infancy, we're still mothers with every pregnancy. And the same with menopause. This is my rite of passage where I'm really entering and, and right in now, you know, so there's, I could talk a lot about that. Very exciting and, and yeah, amazing time. So bringing this back to birth in the system, birth as a midwife, being with women who are going through this um, extraordinary transformation, massive, within their body and their psyche. Um, in my day-to-day -day work, I aim to be very aware of what it is that I'm saying to women, how I'm expressing myself to women, what is the message that they may be receiving from me or how I'm looking after them, knowing that everything is going in. And women remember for years, the midwife said this, the midwife said that. And it's informing or imprinting her of her, uh, how confident she may feel in herself, how valued um, uh, she may be feeling by the people who are providing care, how listened to is she. I'll be really listening to what women are saying about what's going on in their body or their inner knowing about what's happening within their body or their baby. Um, what is she asking for? What is it that she's needing? And the way that, so that, that's sort of the awareness that I bring on my day-to-day -day work as a midwife to really, uh, in that busy, sometimes very busy environment, how to be grounded, present, deeply listening, and self-aware, hopefully enough that um, any imprint that I'm imparting is um, encouraging, uplifting and positive for her to uh, help her um, remember her sense of inner authority and um, ability, incredible ability and capability as a woman to, to um, birth her baby and mother her baby, that massive important job. She's the one who goes home after two days, you know, with, this baby to be mother in a in a really difficult world, you know. Um, so I guess that that's part of my approach to my birth work currently. There's many other layers, but I, I guess in terms mm -hmm. of the rite of passage, that's what I feel I would say now around that. Oh, well, lucky we in the hospital system. Um, I have luckily encountered some, yeah, some beautiful midwives in the system and then, of, of course, some other women who it felt were a bit worn down by the system, a bit tired, um, some a bit bitter, and I'm just going to be really honest here. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that... At a time when women are in hospital, in like as you said, the most vulnerable time, um, and imprint is happening and setting themselves up the foundations of motherhood to then go home, 
And I talk a lot about postpartum care because that's really my area. So I won't go into that too much. But that is also a really huge sacred window where that continuum of that from pregnancy to birth and through to postpartum is set up. And it's true, like, you really do remember not just the words that were said to you, although they do stay strong, but the feeling, how someone made you feel, and that's a saying as well, people remember how you made them feel, not always exactly what you said. And so, yeah, I'm really happy that you're (laughs) in the system, even if part-time for women to um, encounter you. They do, and um, hopefully some midwives out there will hear this as well, and maybe feel like, yes, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing that as well, or maybe they're starting to feel a bit tired and worn down, and this can reinvigorate their, their purpose and their presence as a midwife in the system. Um, also, yeah, but- I think what we're also seeing um, there, you know, you speak of the the tiredness and the bitterness and the uh, maybe there's a term I've heard lately, compassion fatigue, yes. you know, yes. um, or, or disillusionment. I'm also hearing coming through. These are really real things that are happening, um, not just within the unit where I work, but I, you know, I speak with midwives and student midwives across the country, actually, through the people I come in contact with, and. Um, hearing their frustrations and, and that, you know, we're, we're all part of this. And I think this speaks to many things, um, big system things and um, fear is at its core, as at the root actually is fear, but also this um, perhaps a lack of kindness. It could be as simple as that, a lack of kindness and a lack of care and that there is so many demands on us as midwives in the system uh, with very little support, actually. I've not seen or heard of um, midwives receiving much in the way of um, even basic clinical supervision unless there's an acute incident, unless there's something, you know, major that goes on. But there's really, I, I would say, very little um, yeah, support or um, invitation for self-care or really a knowing of what that is to help... Um, prevent that stage of tiredness, bitterness, disillusionment, burnout. Yeah. Yeah. In women's shelters, shelters and youth shelters, and and we had exactly the same term, compassion fatigue, Um, and I would see that with some social workers as well, and it was something that we talked about, and it was a similar thing. There was not always enough um, support. There wasn't always enough um, debriefing unless something huge happened and that creates the culture of a workplace so yeah if we're looking at the system it's not so much about blaming the person but looking how people can um, influence the system to better support the people that work there as well so you can create different cultures and part of the reason that I decided not to go back to social work while um, being at home with my children and who are quite young, they're almost two and four, I just felt like I would end up a bit bitter with compassion fatigue, a bit hardened, and I really wanted to keep my heart open as a worker. And so, yeah, working with women and children postpartum, it's a way I could do that. I think this language isn't heard, you know, and I think we all take responsibility, like, in a sense, working in that way, we are the system, we're part of it, yeah. um, but yes. not, not hearing the term um, heart-opened, you know, when do we hear that? <laughs> when do we yeah. hear that in the system? <laughs> I'm arriving to work really heart-opened today. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps this is the, the, the shift is as individual as that. Yeah. And look, I, I would say there's some very compassionate, very yes. um, well-meaning, tender, loving midwives and doctors and, and everybody, yes, all of it. Um, and there's also enormous stresses and pressures. And, and within all this mix of the, the women who are often bewildered, often bewildered and surprised and just um, uncertain and so vulnerable you know I think if, if we midwives feel vulnerable how much more the women who come you know um, trusting that they will be served well and then you know perhaps not always getting that yeah safely yeah I think you're right it is um changing ideas of language is, is a huge part of it. And sometimes when you, there is so much pressure working within a system, it can be hard. It, it's easy to lose track of that. I know that from getting support in bureaucracy of, of work and, um, and coming back to thinking about keeping your heart open sometimes <laughs> feels like the last thing on your mind. But I even think it is core and central and crucial to what we need to create healthy culture and healthy um, transitions for people in lots of areas of life. But talking here about birth and motherhood, um, we're looking at, you know, huge rates of postpartum anxiety and depression. The leading cause of maternal death in Australia in the first year is suicide. The numbers might not be high, but the fact that that's a fact is huge. And that in itself, even from a clinical point of view, is serious. And the remedy to that is simple. It is care. It is nurture. It is loving, heart-opening presence. And one of my um, goals in the future is to go and uh, work with social workers to do personal development workshops to maintain open heart and practice within the pressures of the system um, mm. with women and children. So that's, yeah, long-term <laughs> vision. Mm. And, uh, yeah, people want it. Like you said, I know amazing midwife no one goes well I don't think so no one goes midwifery or social work or um even being an obstetrician that area if they don't care about women and children so that initial coming back to that core purpose or re um invigorating and reinventing that as well well I feel like we're coming almost to an hour and I'm really aware of your time and I've just really, really appreciated listening to you. You hold such a beautiful, grounded, yet um, open to the divine or in the divine presence, almost like that, you know, the world tree of roots, really, like just here being in your presence and listening to you, roots really grounded, but big, strong branches out there connecting. Um, so it's just been such a pleasure for me. I am more, and more drawn to talking to women in perimenopause, going into menopause, the MAGA and the wise woman. I'm, I've just turned 38, I have to think for a moment. So it's a little while off for me, yet feels like it's on the horizon too. I almost feel like just by these conversations, I'm sort of apprenticing and warming up to this idea and I just... You're so blessed that there's these amazing examples of women 
just continuing to become more empowered and stepping into that divine feminine. So before we go, I'd love to just wrap up with a little bit about um, your journey into MAGA and into menopause. And I read somewhere that you were enjoying the hot flushes. Very much enjoying the hot flushes and um, I'll come to them because they're so talked about, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much going on in the whole being through this incredible rite of passage um, and the hot hot blushes, I call them, because it's like a beautiful warmth. Um, but actually, that's just one tiny part of actually a very magnificent and extraordinary thing that's going on. So in looking at the rite of passage of perimenopause and menopause and I'll speak from my lived experience because I'm in it you know I'm right in it Um, that those four phases so I think the preparation for me and I feel very fortunate that I had already um, a lot of knowledge around rites of passage the women's mysteries I had done a lot of healing work around my own experiences of monarch um, and I have um, you know applied and approached um, my years of menstruation in a sacred way, so the spiritual practice of menstruation, and learned the many lessons that I needed to learn cycle after cycle. And I feel these things prepare have been part of my preparation to perimenopause, menopause, and also um, looking to the women who've gone before. I think this is an important part of it. So seeing um, women who were in going through or beyond menopause and the whole variety of experiences that that could be. I think it's like every rite of passage is as unique as the individual. You know? and there's no one right way to do it, just like there's no one right way to have monarch, no one right way to birth a baby, no one right way to um, navigate the years of perimenopause and menopause. <clears throat> so in, and I also read widely um before um you know as I was entering into this phase and took reasonable care of my body there's a bit of me that thinks oh I could have done a bit more been a bit more healthy or done a bit more muscle building and but I I feel content with the physical preparation that I um, you know the well-being in my body um reasonable um and so this was part of my preparation phase and then just in the, probably, it's been, it's been just over a year since I last had a menstrual cycle. Um, it's been now 15 dark moons. I count the dark moons now. I used to count the days of my cycle and I got to my 13 dark moons in February this year and was still counting the days and then got up to 450 or something, I don't know, and I, I thought, enough counting now I'll just mark the dark moons and that's a, a better way to go about it but I'm enjoying I'm enjoying that I've transitioned beyond counting days um, probably the most um, the bit that I most found most difficult was just actually accepting here it is you know there was that eagerness and looking before a maiden like quality to it I remember as a young girl pre monarch uh, looking to the girls who'd already started their menstrual cycle and what was it like and how did it feel and what do you do and had that sort of anticipation and excitement and I had a sense of that with the perimenopause as well. And it also took a little bit of, um, you know, stepping in, stepping out. So my periods, um, my bleeding time had been very, very regular and uh, 
alternating full moon, dark moon. And then they started spacing out a little bit. And it might be a couple of moons, you know, a few months, and then I'd bleed again. And then maybe have a cycle for a few more months, and then there'd be another pause for a few more months. Um, and what I noticed in those um, sort of final, probably in the, that year, was that my blood would come at really significant times, that it would be um, when I was gathered in women's circle, I would bleed. So I was in women's circle on my 50th birthday and I bled. And then I wouldn't bleed for a few days. So I got many lessons around this. And it was about, um, I, you know, there's the saying, the wise blood is held within, the blood is wise. Um, that's what I experienced about when that um, more irregularity, I paid close attention to what was actually going on in and out or when my bleeding did come. So that I do remember so clearly up on a wilderness solo for an eight seasons journey when I was apprenticing there um, under a full moon in, in the bush in that wilderness solo where women were out um, for their three days doing their deep inner transformation that occurs. Um, that was when my blood came. So I paid attention and gained the knowledge that needed to be gained from that. Um, the physicality with it and some of the inner work that was required was um, certainly touching on grief. Grief and uh, anger arose for me at different times, um, which may have started as a, an irritability. And then when I delved a little deeper, what is it? What's this irritability that's going on? And it was anger about injustices that are, you know, a righteous anger actually, or an anger about things that really needed my attention and healing um, work to be done. So some of the things that I hear when said in the culture around perimenopause and menopause is you know, angry and short and, and cranky women get, premenstrual if you like, for good reason. It's an opportunity for really seeing what's at the root of things. There's a saying, uh, you know, that whatever gets uh, swept under the carpet through all those years of menstruating and motherhood, you certainly trip over it at menopause. Anything unaddressed is here to be seen and tripped over. So I think that's ongoing, but so it's particularly that first year, a lot of inner work was being done. Um, and I also um, Needed, needed really, I'm doing a lot actually. I have a lot going on in my life, and there's a level of adrenal fatigue. So, really, really good adrenal support has been helpful. And I take fabulous um, herbal tonic, particular tonic, which has been really supportive. And I take nourishing teas and a memory tea because um, the brain is being rewired, you know, during this. And there's the heat that arises in the body, I have learned, is to do with the neural rewiring that's occurring. Um, as we become new versions of ourselves. So the first year, I guess, had more of those inner challenges. And this year, um, like coming into my second year of not having a cycle, I'm feeling um, an inner surety, actually, a new inner surety and strength and um, a level of um, Confidence, I guess. It's a bit difficult to describe. It's different to self-confidence. It's just like uh, th there's a recognition of what I know and I'm happy to say it. That type of thing's going on. Um, and a trust, a bigger trust in the process when I'm, I'm just thinking now about my boys growing up and 
trusting in their evolution into young men. Um, that's, I think, partly me just accepting myself more so I'm able to accept them for who they are more. There's so, there's so many things. The hot flushes and, the, the you know, that, that's just beautiful for me. Like, you know, they do feel like this warm um, energy that arises through the body. Um, and it, yeah, and it, I guess it's tantric in nature. It's a surge of energy that comes from me but also beyond me. I'm reminded of um, the birthing energy, when I, particularly when I first birthed my first baby, the energy that, um, and that was a, a water birth at home in England, that moved through me, it was beyond my body, that extraordinary experience of altered state of consciousness through birth there that, again, took me by surprise. I didn't know that that's what could happen in one way, and yet here it was, so to be reliable. Same thing. Uh, and these hot flushes, um, blushes, on one side, I just love the warmth. I love that I can, you know, take off a few layers or I can throw off a blanket and just bask in the warmth that my body is generating beautiful it makes me laugh you know there's joy in it um and there's also an invitation after i like to sort of play a little bit with it and um think well what was going on just before that happened what was i thinking doing or saying just before the the heat arose and it usually points to something that was really requiring my attention, um, an old area of wounding, something that um, I could maybe do differently. It's, it's fascinating. What I'm reminded of, and knowing that as women we are a force of nature, actually, we perhaps just forget it, um, aren't aware of that. Uh, the sense that some seeds need a fire to be activated. And I feel that the heat that rises through my body is activating my own seed bed for inner growth. Um, and sometimes it's almost like I can um, um, will will it, you know, like it, I, I, it might just come on because of something I know that I've thought. And I thought this, this thought will generate some heat, you know, and that happens. I think what's happening for me um, that's really requiring my next level of attention are my knees. <laughs> my knees just started to hurt. <laughs> and um, I think there's, I'm going to go on a little in, inner inquiry into what my knees are asking <laughs> of me because that's been the last few weeks. And, um, yeah, that's, I've spoken with another wise woman about my menopausal knees and she said yes and were problematic for, for a while and then they got better. So they're, they're calling for my attention. So there's the, it's a body experience and it's a soul, it's psyche experience that I'm going through. And, uh, you know, like birth, it takes as long as it takes and apparently it can take up to 13 years. I don't, I feel like I'm in it, not through it. Um, and the concept of self-care, extreme self-care, is taking on another level of meaning. Um, really need to look after my my needs, particularly with all the work that I'm doing in the world at the moment mm. and transitioning to menopause. Mm. Taking, after your needs. <laughs> taking after your needs and your knees. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. I love it, Judy. I love that you enjoy the hot blushes. I really like that reframing of that the warmth and the heat can be 
a really enjoyable experience and that there's positivity and laughter there and um yeah, I just love it I love that people are, are not uh stepping into menopause or moving into menopause and regretting it or um kind of resenting leaving behind their younger self but I just see these women that are like yourself talking about it in such a positive way it's so beautiful I just look at you guys and I'm like oh my goodness I'm very happy here I can't wait to get there that looks awesome that looks confident empowered just and more like you said more than confident just very comfortable with all that you've been and all that you are and you're becoming this is sort of like ease and comfortable and like yes that's that's what i'm going to do <laughs> thank you for making the way <laughs> i look forward to the hot, hot blushes which you do get in the postpartum and hormonally a little bit mm -hmm. that surges through um even when your period returns and menstrually but then, yeah, more heightened with menopause. Definitely more heightened, actually. Everything is more heightened. Mm. I'm finding a heightened sensitivity um, to many things, heightened sensitivity to my intuition and my instinct and my inner knowing um, and a heightened um, awareness of... Um, it's like the connection to source, divinity, whatever you want to, whatever one's name for it. For me, it is goddess, is um, the language that I use is around that, is on all the time. It, it's like every, it's all shamanic in nature at the moment. Um, and that's been a shift. Before it might have been like within the menstrual cycle, maybe um, the sort of experience of being in um, deep in day three of bleeding, you know, which is a really shamanic open time during the bleeding time. It's kind of, I feel like it's on all the time. Um, which I find, you know, it's really, really um, exciting and, and rich. It brings a whole another level of um, rich other world into the everyday. It's not less separation. Um, mm. Fantastic. Yeah, well, it's about the continuum of life and um, from baby to childhood and often comment on how children are connected to spirit. And in a way, they can be. They they even in teenagehood, but um, because they have come, they're closer to their birth, <laughs> they're closer to from spirit coming into a body and they don't have all of the pressures of life. And then as people enter into um, you know, adulthood <laughs> and parenthood and all the responsibilities, then sort of like spirit's still there and we can sort of cultivate that and connect. But in a way we need to really be in this physical human experience. And then as like, we come out and start to grow, like we still have our families and move into that wise woman or that wise man, still have the families, but they take less of your survival instinct, like your survival actions, because your kids grow up and start to look after themselves a bit more. And therefore that spirit starts to come back in and, and become part of your world in that beautiful spiral or circle of life. Mm, mm, certainly. Um, and uh, yes, I would, I would echo what you say there. Um, and just also the sensitivity, going back to that. Um, the other thing, I forgot what I was going to say, and that's part of it too, the fact that the memory just stops, um, which is really, again, just I just love it. It's so funny um, that the words drop out and uh, clearly, you know, maybe just one of those neural rewirings hadn't quite rewired right in the middle of a word. Uh, the sensitivity, increased sensitivity to... Um, 
uh, my skin, to what I can feel. Um, all my senses are heightened, you know. I hear things like, I guess, and I think this is something that perhaps starts with motherhood. I don't know. If, um, it's my experience once I had my baby that, you know, any little noise that the baby might make, any little noise in the house, alert, awake, ready. So all those senses are, are still really heightened, but particularly the sense of smell. Always had a strong sense of smell, but I, you know, sensing everything in, in the physical world um, more strongly perhaps um, perhaps in the same premenstrual way, but I'm noticing sensitivity on all levels um, and, and what I'm seeing and, yeah, it's an interesting, really interesting time. Um, and I think some of the, the grieving work, you know, um, yeah, I heard you say around, you know, uh, no regrets. Um, I think there are, for me, it was about acknowledging perhaps <clears throat> things that I may never do, things that I thought perhaps I would do that I may never do now. So there is that letting go of um, perhaps some preconceived ideas or, or things that perhaps won't happen again. And a picking up of others um, that sometimes with the, the lifting of the veil, and that, that's what's happening, you know, was women enter into monarch, you know, and entering onto their fertility cycle year after year, it's, um, and high estrogen levels, of, it's as if a veil descends, you know, and they're on the cycle. And then in this perimenopause, it's like a veil is, is again lifted and looking in the world around me. Wow, look what's going on around me in a, in a different way. And it's a time sometimes when women will pick up the things that perhaps they, they left behind as a maiden, their passions or interests or things that they loved before they entered into that whole cyclic um, fertility years and will revert to that. And... Um, Maybe it was as a, a girl in her maidenhood played deeply in nature and then we move away. But I see a lot of women in their menopause or perimenopause, maga years, off doing long distance hiking off in the bush and, and you know, returning to some of those pleasures that they had when they were younger. Um, and, I, and I feel that in myself as well, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been truly such a pleasure to connect with you and spend this time. And um, yeah, lucky women are about to embark on the Four Seasons journey with you. Mm. Lots of wisdom we have to offer the world. So um, yeah, I would love to even possibly have you back on one day and really delve into that maga archetype and uh, a little bit more there. But I'll let you get. Preparing for this journey. Yes, well, thank you. Thank you for your time, Shirley. It's been a real delight. It's been lovely to speak with you and, and meet you in this way and to hear what you've had to offer as well. And um, yeah, and, and off I go in the um, more preparation for the Four Seasons journey, which is in and of itself, uh, it's a rite of passage. Yeah. It holds all yeah. those aspects of rite of passage and we've all been in that preparation phase and we're all about to enter into the liminal experience um, from, from this week onwards. And uh, Fantastic. Yes, very exciting. Well, find thank out you. more about you um, and follow what you do and find out more about your workshops, where should they go? And I'll put the link mm -hmm. in the show notes. Yeah, so um, I do offer workshops throughout the, the year um, through my Artemis Rising uh, Facebook page. So I hold pregnancy workshops from time to time. 
Wise Woman Rising Days, which is an introduction to the women's mysteries and the practice of shamanic womancraft. And I'll soon be offering um, a series of um, Journey to Avalon workshops that are going to fall in series and beginning with connecting with ancestry and place of belonging. Um, and I've been offering that as short workshops in conferences and, and various work, various things like a two-hour presentation and that's evolving into a full-day experience for women. So um, all that at the moment is just held on my Artemis Rising Facebook page. Wonderful. Nothing much beyond Wonderful. that. Um, and that's, that's, all you need. that's all you need. That's all I need. And um, of course, um, the Four Seasons journey um, can be found through the School of Shamanic Womancraft um, website. And we'll soon be um, posting dates for the 2020 and taking bookings. There's already women who are interested in um, joining the Four Seasons, Mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey starting in August of 2020. So those registrations are, are open as well. Um, and some people like a, a longer build-up, you know, a bit more time to prepare for all that needs to be done for that course. So you can Wonderful. check that out as well. Fantastic. I'll put all those links up. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, ideas for guest speakers that you might have and also if you feel to i would really appreciate if you head on over to itunes anchor fm and the other platforms and left a review for the pollination mamas podcast this helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there of these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience i found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that i didn't realize were um so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally so thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon. Have a wonderful day. Bye.